For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're here to continue our set of draft shows today. We've had some great guests so far tonight. One of the oldest and dearest friends of the show, and that's Michael Crawford. How are you doing, Michael? Okay, and I'm doing well, doing well. Thanks for having me on. It's been a while, but it's always good to catch up with you and, and talk some football. And we're uh, going to do some draft talk here, and I know that's an exciting time for, for all NFL fan bases, but you and I uh, really kind of like the draft, too. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, Michael, uh, you know, been through the Scouting Academy stuff, always has some incredibly insightful comments about the players in the draft. And, and uh, you know, this is uh, an interior offensive line we're going to look at. We've had Michael on the draft show regularly in the past. He might be able to make it, has some other commitments I know this year that, that, that may come up against that. And we'll, we'll uh, obviously be, be very respectful of that. But if, he, if he's able to make it for any time, we'd love to have him on the show. Uh, we're going to go through these players 10 to 1 on the interior offensive line. But I think in, in all of these, we've kind of looked at what the Ravens situation is coming into the draft. We're making our 10 to 1 list. I didn't ask you, Michael, in our production meeting, did you make your list of who would be best for the Ravens 10 to 1 or just in general 10 to 1? I tried to to keep it Ravens focus. I might have one or two guys on there that eh, don't know if they're a great scheme fit. But, you know, we can we can talk about that. My, my, my list is Raven-centric, but that's okay. Even if there's slight differences, it, it usually doesn't make a big difference. Uh, but anyway, the, uh, uh, the, some of the big questions for the Ravens, the interior offensive line did not play terribly last year in any sense. They had Bradley Bozeman there and, and uh, Kevin Seitler were both quite good. Uh, at left guard, they finally worked through some choices that they had, got to Ben Cleveland at the end of the year. Uh, Cleveland played very well in the final game. Of course, he played very poorly in the next-to-last game. So it uh, really had some things to choose from. But Cleveland's ga- game against Pittsburgh in that Cleveland's game against Pittsburgh in that last very AFC North centric game there uh, was was one of the best I've seen um, uh, for the entire year by any Ravens lineman. 
So I, I was very positive on that. And, and uh, I, what, the, what their plans are with him obviously plays a lot into how they deal with the draft. Do you think that they've, they're at the point where Cleveland has the left guard spot either by expectation or even lockdown? They're saying they're, we're not going to spend a high draft pick there? I could see making the argument that he has it by expectation. Um, and maybe even a little bit more just, just by performance, too. Because, I mean, if you mm-hmm. think about Tyree Phillips' time there, um, if you think of, well, Makari's probably not going to be in that role anymore at guard, and that makes it guard anymore, unless, you know, you start to have some some injury domino situations kind of fall. Uh, it, it's almost like if they don't take somebody high, and you, you and I talked about this a little bit before, if they don't t- take somebody high, it's almost like, by default, they're sort of sending that message that, hey, we think right. that he's going to be the guy. Like Greg Roman always says, he wants somebody to grab the brass ring. So maybe he feels like <laughs> like going into uh, uh, the season if they don't take somebody high in the interior that Cleveland has shown enough in terms of grabbing that ring. But uh, I don't know. They, you know, they always preach competition there. Right. You know, coaches love that. So I could see them maybe bringing somebody in and say, well, you know, the cream's going to rise to the top, but it might it might not be a true competition. We'll see. I I hope they do that with a young player if they do and not a not a veteran who's going to submerge him. I don't think they'll do that. But Ben Powers is still on the roster. We everybody's acting like he's gone. Uh, His salary would certainly be. I'm sorry. Say again, Michael. No, I said, including me. I forgot about him. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, I mean, he started a number of games last year and he, and he potentially could be the starter again. I mean, certainly come through camp, it's, uh, uh, he's just going into year four. He's earned some escalators. That was the end of Miles Boykin in Baltimore. I think if Miles Boykin would have been available just at his base salary, they might've kept him. Um, but, uh, but not, uh, uh, you know, not with the escalator and, and they, they probably feel the same way about powers powers and maybe a renegotiation situation that they can, um, negotiate that down and come to a salary that they're, that they're both sides can live with, uh, if he can't be, you know, find another spot somewhere else, but they'll, they'll have to decide that later. You look at the roster, there's, uh, that IOL really has only to my way of thinking three people where the roster spots are defined. Uh, we didn't already talk about this, did we? Cleveland. McCary and um, Zeitler, and they're the presumptive starters to me, but but I don't think Powers is safe. I don't think Tyree Phillips is safe. I certainly don't think Cologne is safe entering year three. He's He would be a big jeopardy to me in, in terms of that. And I think you would typically have on the roster um, six guys at those positions, maybe one of whom you would hope would be able to step in at tackle. Yeah, and then that's kind of been their M.O. Um, with the draft, even after the draft. You've talked about undrafted guys, particularly later round guys, fourth round and later. Uh, they like those kind of combo guys who can play a little bit of guard or tackle or a little bit of guard and center. Um, obviously, we understand why they and other teams like that. I mean, you're carrying eight guys into a game. You want that position versatility. Um, you know, I, I hear mixed uh feelings from people about that particularly at tackle i think it's more so at tackle i don't think people get too hung up about guard center but i think tackle people are kind of like ah, i wish they would just take like a pure tackle instead of these you know guard tackle types but they seem to just like to do that with with the later round picks now an early pick i think they would certainly you know if, if the right guy fell they would certainly lean to a guy who's more pure tackle right in terms of right. uh body size and length and athleticism all of that but those later round guys that just seems to have been their mo over the last few years yeah, I mean, they, 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 a lot of those swing guys are left 
at the end of the things. The pure left tackles, they go go pretty quickly. But even the good developmental left tackles, you know, Spencer Brown and people like that, they get, they get drafted a little bit earlier maybe than they otherwise would. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I would agree with you. And, and this year, it's a, it's a very distinct tier of left tackles that's available. You've got the, the, the top three guys in there. To me, they're very close. Uh, I'd be happy with any of them, and, and unfortunately, we're not going to get any of them. Uh, and, 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 then, and then you've got Trevor Penning, who is the biggest boneheaded mystery box you'll ever see, but he's, you know, the 34 penalties in 31 games just to me screams out that he's a, a um, probably not the greatest learner on field or in the position room. Mm-hmm. Uh, may have some stubbornness issues that go with that, uh, you know. So, so you got to deal with him, and then you got some length issues and people like uh, uh, Deech and um, who's the other guy, Ryman, who have really significant, yeah. uh, you know, short arms. That uh, Ryman, I, you know, very polished blocker, very effective at the college level. His length just screams out it. Just no way it's going to work in the NFL. And it's, it's uh, the guy. He's very similar to me is uh, Eichenberg of Miami from last year's draft. Yeah, yeah, from Notre Dame. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get to it and talk about our top 10 and count them down. Michael, looking forward to your, your picks. And you start first as a guest with your number 10 guy. All right. Now, keep in mind, I have a mix of guards and centers in here. And there might even be some guys who play tackle uh, who, who I think probably project a little bit better than guard. I tried not to do that. I tried to kind of carve those guys out as much as possible uh, and, and keep that like a separate thing. But my number 10 guy is uh, Luke Fortner, uh, center out of Kentucky. Um He's a bit of an older prospect, so I want to put that out there right off the top. I think he's going to be 24 when the season begins. I think he's actually wow. Now. Um, so there's always that. Uh, but 6'4", 307, um, very accomplished academically. He's a guy who's already got a bachelor's and a master's in mechanical engineering, and I think he's working on a master's in business administration. So very accomplished guy academically. Uh, he was the 2022 East-West Shrine Bowl invitee. Um, you know, played on a Kentucky O-line that I think has got at least two guys, him being one of them, who are going to get drafted. Darian him, Kennard. Hard, right, and maybe even Dari Rosenthal. I don't know about Rosenthal. He, he might be a, a priority free agent type. But um, it, we talked about this, just we touched on it just briefly a couple of minutes ago. I'm not sure that there's the perfect scheme fit here. I think they ran a little bit more of a zone-based scheme at Kentucky. But when I watched Fortner, just the way that he moves, I thought like he was kind of right on the edge of being able to work in a zone type scheme in terms of a center having to execute some of those reach blocks. I just didn't think he moved quite well enough to do that at a really high level. Like doing it just barely at the college level is one thing. And then you come into the NFL with the guys on the interior in the NFL. And I'm like, ah, I don't know if that's going to work. <laughs> so in my mind, I thought he might be a better fit as a gap scheme center. Now, I don't know if you can do all the pulling stuff that they do sometimes with their centers. I don't know if he has kind of like real high level mobility to do some of that. I think you could do some short one gap pulls, stuff like that. Um, but just in terms of, you know, the intelligence, uh, angles i think he does a really good job with taking angles to position block and that kind of thing he's not necessarily an overpowering kind of guy or going to like maul guys off the board off the ball or anything like that so uh that's probably why i have him down a little bit because i don't think there's a perfect scheme fit but um i can you know if you squint you're kind of looking through the keyhole a little bit you might be able to see <laughs> a little bit of a, of a way to, that they could they could find a, a fit for him all right. I, I absolutely love Fortner for starters, but the, 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 did you like him better at guard or center after watching his tape? I, I probably would lean towards guard. Um, I know he's played both. I, know, I think he, he 2021 is when he kind of played more center. I think he played left guard 
Um, he may have even done some right guard. Did he do three different positions? Yeah, I, I, I think so. I think I saw him at right guard wearing a different number. So I think it was earlier in his career. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think I like a little bit at guard, but then I think again, this when you talked about you know how we put this in the in the Raven sort of lens. You think about how often they pull their guard, particularly their left guard. Yeah. Um, you know, so I wonder a little bit about that if you ask him to do that. But then I started to think about guys like Bradley Bozeman. I'm like, well, uh-huh. is he at least as mobile as Bradley Bozeman? I, said, I think Everybody so. Everybody is. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. So, yeah, I think he could do it. And Bozeman, outstanding puller. I mean, wasn't wasn't just average as a puller. He really did a great job when he was with the Ravens. Um, it, to me, there, there was a lot to like about Luke Fortner, uh, but I was not aware of his age. And by the way, I, I, I think we've talked about this on past draft shows, but I have a very hard time sometimes finding birthdays. And it's particularly true for whatever reason of redshirt senior players is that, you know, you, you, you really have to know they've been in school for five years or they took a year off for COVID. And you have to know all the particulars to, to get down to guessing at their age a lot of time because they won't put it in the media guide. And sometimes you, you type in some. I have to admit. I've got a cheat code. I use Dane Brugler's draft guide, and he has all that stuff in there. Oh, okay, very good. Very I got good. A cheat code. That must be the that must be the way. All right. Anyway, uh, Fortner is not particularly big for a guard. Is one of the one of the issues I have. Um, he's huge for a center at six four three zero four currently. Uh, Twenty four. Maybe there's not a lot more room to be packed on, but he has good arm length for a center at thirty three and an eight. So I like that. Terrific, powerful player. When I see. 33 and an eighth, I'm looking for, you know, 23 bench reps. I would be okay with 24 bench reps might be, might be a little bit good. 31 bench reps he's at. So look at a very good uh, strength length combination for him. Uh, having played both positions in college, I think is valuable. I, I, I have a trouble projecting guards to center just because there's a different skill set. You mentioned Fort, Fortner's academics was not aware of that. That's something that I think could play well as being a line leader, making line calls, all of the things we expect of a center or sometimes a guard in, in the NFL. But, uh, but being able to make those line calls, is nice to have someone um, very uh, powerful player is certainly where he, where he uh, is going to earn his pay in the NFL uh, had did have some problems with, non-independent hand usage. And I, I talk about this and related to pinball a lot is that you can, I can tell a bad pinball player in 10 seconds from the way they try and save the ball with two flippers at the same time when the ball goes straight down the middle. And first of all, I'm old, so I play pinball and you know, a lot of people <laughs> haven't who are younger, but, but second of all, uh, you know, people who do that are just, they're incredibly terrible, actually hurting their chances to save the ball, to do it. You, can, you can't tell them that, but, uh, but yeah, you can, you can, uh, you know, a bad player right away. And, and oftentimes offensive linemen, when they use both hands away, at, at once, it gives them the defender a good chance to swipe both away with one move, particularly if you can see it coming. So you try not to do that. You try and, you know, punch with, one arm, go to the armpit. Uh, occasionally, you want to go use two arms and, and and lock on and have that be the end of the the, the play there. But uh, uh, usually, you want you want to be independent. You want to be some combination of independent at two at once. Uh, common, the comment is often made for Fortner, and you really see it on tape. There's a nice tape out there by Edgar Allen looking at his play. Uh, mm. You, you uh, really needs to play somewhat lower. Uh, you know, he's, he's, he's six, four. He's, I don't think he's really six, five or six, six. And I've seen other heights ascribed to him, but uh, he needs to play lower to win leverage. And that'll be a big factor in the NFL. He's going to be one of these guys who doesn't have optimal size to play against NFL size noses, which are bigger than anything, you know, he's played against regularly in college. 
even though he played in the SEC. Uh, I think that he'll really help a team like the Ravens that does a lot of combination blocking. And I, I you know, I, I'm, I'm interested in your comments about this, Michael, but I thought he did a very good job of knowing when to release. So he was on a double team, moved up to level two. Not only that, he had a very high awareness of where the play was being run. So when he got to level two, he was making a block and it was a good positional block. Um, you know, he had other times where he, where he was just in space and making a very good positional block, really understanding where that running back might want to come behind him. So uh, I like that about him. I just, I like him a lot better than other people do. Obviously uh, great value addition for the Ravens. If they can get him in round four, I think he, probably will be part of a smorgasbord of available players there. And that's going to be one of the real fun things about the draft this year is making up our list of maybe the 10, 12, 13 guys who we would love the Ravens to get in round four with their five picks because there's going to be a lot of good players available. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, look, when you have this year's draft with all of the fifth-year guys, the extra year, the pandemic mm-hmm. year guys coming in, and next year, you know, same thing will apply for next year. I think they've already said that they're going to, extend that rule into into next year as well know uh, that, huh? you're gonna you're gonna have this uh <laughs> sort of bigger pool of players to choose from and you know i think people have talked about this draft and you mentioned it earlier um particularly on the o-line where they're it's very tiered and mm-hmm. you know when you're looking at tackle there's some guys kind of right up there at that top tier and then it kind of falls off a little bit uh, and then i think in the interior o-line i don't know that th- there's like a real consensus top guy i mean i guess people would say linderbaum but after that, yeah, it, it kind of – I don't want to say decline. That's too negative. But you can get guys in later parts of yeah. the draft and, and a lot of quality players too, like guys who can come in and compete to be starters. And, and, and yeah. some guys who probably will be starters as rookies in, in different places around the league. Yeah, I completely agree. I think you know, this and tight end, very similar in terms of having you know big slugs of, of players who are in, the, in those middle rounds that the Ravens will have a shot at. And I'm, I'm, I'm just very excited about it, the way they're positioned for this draft. I hadn't heard about extending the rule, but you know, looking at the defensive line, honestly, I'm immensely disappointed with the quality of the group given the COVID year. I thought this was going to be an outstanding defensive line year. And I, you know, I hadn't really scouted a year ahead or try, I don't try and ever be that guy really where I'm looking at the 23 draft now, for example, but you know, it's uh, it's surprising to me that there are, are not a higher quality group of defensive linemen available. And it's certainly an area of need for the Ravens. And they've gone out and again, spent free agent money on Pearson Campbell uh, rather than restock with youth. Yeah, because it looks like in this draft, if, if you can't strike on one of those defensive linemen early, um, mm-hmm. they're going to be some guys later. But, you know, they're going to be guys who maybe are going to need a little bit more time, uh, probably going to be more part of a rotation than somebody who's going to come in and, and, and take a, a large uh, percentage of the snap share. I mean, you never know. I mean, there, there's later round guys every year that kind of surprise. But just, you know, the way that things are projected right now, I mean, you're looking at your Jordan Davises, your Devontae Wyatts. Um, you know, some guys like that. I mean, obviously, Georgia's got <laughs> a, ton of, a ton of players who are who are probably going to go high in this draft. Trayvon Walker, I left him out. Uh, but yeah, you after that, you're like, man, uh, I don't know with some of the rest of these guys. You really kind of have to to mine for some gems with some of these other, you know, mid to later round defensive linemen. Yeah. Jaden Dean, I'll throw that name out there. He's a guy. I know we're not doing a defensive line show. Texas A&M, big guy, 6'6". Six, six, you know, he's in that five. What was the name? Jaden Peavy. Okay, yeah, he's on the list for this year. Yeah. Yeah, and I, more of a developmental guy because I don't think he's played a ton of football. He was a basketball guy in high school. Um, 
uh, didn't, you know, your te- his testing numbers aren't going to wow you. You know, there was not like any kind of huge athletic mm-hmm. thing. But you look at him on film and you see that first step quickness at 6'6", and you're thinking, okay, there, there might be something we can work with there as a coach. So uh, I'll just throw that one out there. <laughs> yeah, well, the Ravens love their tall guys. So he, Fortner was number 10 on your list, number 7 on mine. So I'm going to go ahead with my number 10 guy. I'll be a little bit quicker with these. I know we, we, like, we'll be a three-hour show if we, if we continue with this pace. Well, Fortner's an exciting one. Marquise Hayes of Oklahoma, uh, 6'5", 318, 34-and-7-8-inch arms. So you can, you can toss, that, toss that on me right away. And he has incredibly small hands. They're under nine inches. So he's basically working with chopsticks uh, for, for arms. Um, tests very poorly across the board in all measurables. So that's not a good start. He's a red shirt senior. He's an older guy, and I can't find his birthday. So if you happen to have that, Michael, I'd love to love to hear it. But uh, I know he's an older guy. He is 23, uh, February 14th, 1999. Okay, so he already turned twenty three. Okay, so that's that's it. Can get worse. Um, uh, he leverages his best asset, he, asset, and he has the length and the power uh, to punch effectively and turn a defensive tackle. So he's an interesting guy. I think to put it right guard, uh, a right for a right handed run game, the guy who can open the front door, uh, pivot that defensive tackle as you want to open a hole. Uh, I, I always like that. Uh, rarely has let the QB get hit in college. So. I forget where they saw the numbers. It might have been in the PFF guide or maybe been somewhere else. I think probably PFF guide because I don't know where else it would have been. Um, uh, to, he's rarely let the, the QB get hit. Um, he needs to develop an anchor that will stand up against NFL players. As a taller guy, another one, and this is true of a lot of the guys in this class, Michael, you probably see it from you know across the board, is that um, taller guys who are exceptional power athletes aren't forced to play with the kind of um, – uh, bend that you might like at at, uh, at uh, interior offensive line a lot. They get by with what they are, and in particular guys who have good length. And Hayes needs to get lower to, to be more effective uh, in the NFL. Don't see him as someone the Ravens could draft through four rounds, but he might be a six or a UDFA. Definitely a project lineman, a lot of holes in his game, uh, but, but a lot of exciting measurables, I thought, as well. Yeah, he's he's an interesting guy to me uh, for all the reasons that you mentioned, and also that he played only left guard at Oklahoma. He didn't play any other spot on the offensive line, which I'm not saying you never see that with college offensive linemen, but I, I think it's a little bit rare to see a guy who's only. I mean, I guess Thunderbomb only played center, so maybe maybe I'm maybe rare is not the right word. Um, but yeah, I definitely saw the length. You can see that on tape. You can see that he has that finisher's mentality. Like he definitely wants to get after people and finish blocks. Um, also, uh, this is some of the other kind of cheat codes you get from Dane's guide. Um, nine penalties in 2021, six holding calls. Uh, I got to get this guide. I think you're the second person who's, who's mentioned it, but it sounds great. You got to get It's amazing. I mean, I've been buying it since 2017, 2018, and it only gets better year and year, year after year. And he gets all of the, all of the timing and measurable stuff. It's all NFL verified stuff. He's not pulling okay. it off somebody else's website. And then he gets all of the background. He gets the birth dates. I mean, you'll you'll love it. You'll love it. It's huge. Okay. It's a it's a big guy. Is it is it a uh, this is is this the one from the athletic guy? Is it is yep. it the single? Okay, great. Yeah. That's the yeah. one that's been recommended to me that I never got. Yeah, if you have an athletic subscription, it's part of that now. When he used to be an independent oh. guy, he used to charge for it. I don't think it was much. I think it might have been ten bucks or something like that. But now okay. it's included in your athletics. So. Cool, cool. I, I'm I'm going out and I'm buying that before draft night. Oh man, you'll love it. You'll start reading that thing, and you—it'll be hard to put it down. <laughs> <laughs> so you had Hayes. I'm taking it off your list in terms of the top ten. No, no, I had Hayes. Um, 
Okay. I actually had him uh, a little bit higher. I think I had him at seven. Okay, so we flip flopped our ten sevens. So I like I like Fortner better than Hayes. You like Hayes better than Fortner, and that's cool. Splice of life here. Uh, if did you have more to say? I didn't want to cut you short, but you're number nine guys next. I'm good. Oh, number nine. Okay, I move on to my number nine guy. I'm getting all my older guys out of the way here uh, towards the bottom of the list. So this is another center, Cole Strange from Chattanooga. Mm -hmm. Uh, another guy who will be 24 uh, when the season starts. He's 23 now. I think he's uh, a July birthday, July 1998. Um, and, you know, when you look at his college career, you see why. Uh, he's He's got six years uh, of playing <laughs> in college, so you can see why. He's up there in age a little bit. Um, started out at Air Force and then ended up transferring to Chattanooga. He's from the he's from Tennessee, so he wanted to be a little bit closer to family. Another guy who's academically accomplished, um, already got a degree in psychology, he's pursuing his master's in engineering management, 3.71 GPA in college, and an academic all-conference across all six years, like all six years, 3.7. This, is, this is, is really interesting because your guy transfers from Air Force to UT Chattanooga. The first thought is it's a last-chance use situation. Where the, the guy's actually, you know, academically failed and whatnot, and is you know having to having to build himself back up, or you know right. maybe even not quite JUCO ball, but but you know he's playing in the Southern Conference, it's an FCS, so it's uh, you know not the highest level of competition. Yeah, he he had committed to them out of high school, and then Air Force came in with an offer, and he decided to go there because he wanted to play against FBS competition, mm -hmm. um, you know, higher competition. But then he got there, and it was just too far away. I don't think this guy had really ever been out of Tennessee or anything like that. So kind of had, um, you know, a little bit of the homesickness and he went back to Chattanooga. But, yeah, very accomplished academically. Um, you know, 44 starts across three positions. He's played left tackle. He's played left guard. He's played center. I think this most recent season um, he played mostly center. Now, some people will say, again, you know, and, and it's fair, right, the level of competition um, at Chattanooga, and only three of those 44 starts came against Power 5 schools. And some people who watched him this year probably watched the Kentucky game. Yep. And that was was one of the things that <laughs> on the radar. And uh, he played pretty well there. And uh, even at the senior bowl, uh, by all accounts, you know, acquitted himself pretty well, at the, uh, pretty well at the senior bowl. So could be one of those guys like the senior bowl has had in years past. They're small school guys, but they come there. They show that the lights aren't too big. The stage isn't too big. And, and they equip themselves well. They seem to have one or two of those guys every year at the senior bowl. And we know the Ravens love their senior bowl guys. Um, I think that I like his mobility. I don't know that just in terms of his body type, his frame, I don't know if there's a lot of room to put on a lot more muscle mass. He might be a little bit maxed out that way. Um, but I like the way that he moves. I love the competitive toughness. I mean, you can see that in that Kentucky game. He's really getting after guys. I think he could have a difficult time against the power and strength of NFL defensive linemen. I think that could be a, a, a bit of an issue for him. He'd be another one of those guys who's probably going to win more with positioning and with quickness, um, you know, in terms of getting to the spot. Um, faster than defensive player. But, you know, who knows? Who knows? I, it's not like I'm some kind of strength coach. I mean, I don't know, but I'm just looking at him and I'm like, I don't know. This guy looks pretty maxed out. Uh, but I liked him. So very, very tall, lean frame. Uh, I, I agree with a lot of the comments you made. I, I watched that same Kentucky game and I was kind of trying to score the game in my head as we did. And first of all, I'm not sure that 100% of the plays are on that one cut up of the Kentucky game. So you may have every play. I, I, I don't know. I, I looked at maybe what was looked like 50 to 55 plays in Tennessee Chattanooga. I don't know if they if they ended up scoring in that game. They were coming. They got down to the, about the one yard line towards the end of the game. 
and I think Kentucky stopped them there, and I think they might end up getting shut out in the game. But 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 anyway, uh, it, it, from what it looked like to me, there were some things I didn't like about Cole Strange in this, and it was actually the reason why I left him out of my top ten. He's still on my honorable mention list. Um, I thought he was good working with uh, with uh, the defense. Uh, sorry, double teams um, to move up half a level in particular. There are a couple of plays in this game where he he knew how to turn and go in, and we we've talked about that more for tackles. Then who down block in the Ravens system and can move up half a level. It's an easier job, but done well. It's a thing of beauty to seal off that edge and, and really make a, a, a effective spot for, for that. I, I, there are two things that really bothered me about his play. One was that he didn't seem to always know what to do with his hands. Uh, hands were very wide a, a lot of the time. And, and I, I'm trying to, to justify some of these with the frame comments because it, it definitely does have a, you know, a, a, a large lean frame. I would think you could put weight on that, but maybe not. Um, you know, he has his good arm length or okay arm length for a guard anyway at 33 inches. It just didn't seem to always put his hands in the right place. And the other thing that was – this is really bad is – he had assignment issues during the game. He, he had places where he obviously didn't know where he was supposed to be. And, you know, if there's one play and the, the, the guy who's watching the tape called it out, you know, is, is basically he, he, he must have thought that was a screen pass because he, he's, he's going up. But that wasn't the only time. That was the only time by a long shot that that happened. So I, I was I was, you know, bothered by that. And hopefully that's coachable something yeah. he can do obviously a smart guy so you know maybe he's he ends up uh, uh being a guy who can help you there i i do like smart linemen who are not utter brainiacs like urschel and we have to talk big bang theory here because there's a whole lot of of offensive linemen who are in the howard category of big bang theory as opposed to the sheldon category and i think we've seen some evidence that the sheldons are a little dangerous so you, if you have urschel um, he can really be a detriment because he decides he doesn't want to play football and, and uh, uh, you know, may, may just not have the same love for the game. May realize he could do better in other things uh, with, with the guys who are one level lower, who are on their second degree already because they're in the fifth year and they've actually, you know, kept up academically with being five years in school. Um, th- those people, I, I love having them around. I mean, they're, they're people who are going to be the captains of your offense. And, uh, you know, the, the, the job is not too little for them, you know, to play offensive line in the NFL. And, and I really like that. So I think from that perspective, he'd be good. Competition level will be a step up. And, and uh, you know, it was good, I think, that I watched the tape of Kentucky because if I had watched him do that against somebody else, I'd be even more frustrated. I'd still be frustrated with the assignment problems. But the fact that he was able to get away with some of the hand usage stuff that he did uh, actually was probably a good thing in terms of saying maybe it won't be that bad if he if he goes to the NFL. And, um, you know, if the, the Ravens will will have done their st- small school scouting on this guy and hopefully many others. And I think they'll have a good idea of whether they can fix what they think is wrong with him. Uh, they won't consider him before round four, in my opinion. I know he's, he's higher on some boards than that, but that's absolutely the highest I could see drafting this guy. And I'd say actually probably towards the end of round four would be my call on it. Uh, be slightly out of my top ten. Yeah. No, I think that's fair. Um, I, I will say um, one thing I thought about when watching him, and I probably, you know, I really wanted to focus on the Kentucky game because it was higher level competition. Right. Uh, I probably need to go back and double check some of his other games against some of the, you know, the regular teams that they play. Cause I was listening to um, Sean Payton. He was on a podcast recently and he was talking about some stuff he learned over the years. And, and one thing was a, a thing about Bill Parcells and how Bill Parcells kind of had a disdain for small school players, particularly small school mm-hmm. linemen. 
offensive lineman. <laughs> and so he, his thing was, look, when I turn on that tape, that guy kind of has to walk on water uh, for him to, you know, I, for me to really be that we can, can take that guy on our team. And so he said that they would do this thing where um, they wouldn't tell him ahead of time who the player was. Right. They wouldn't give him the number or anything like that. They'd say, hey, we're going to watch these first 10 or 15 plays. And in his way of thinking, that player should jump out like no brainer style jump out in those first 10 or 15 plays. Right. He should be able to just watch the tape and then he should be able to turn to you, even though you haven't told him who you're scouting. You haven't given him a jersey number or anything like that. He should be able to turn to you and say, "Okay, we're looking at number 77. Right. That was his kind of method is like, all right, don't even tell me who these guys are. I should be able to watch 10 or 15 plays against small school competition. These guys should just jump out like a bright red light at me when I'm watching these guys. Well, uh, Bill, Bill Parcells also coached four decades ago. So, you know, it's 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 fair to say that the probably the, the number of really top or the size of the linemen at that level was probably a lot smaller on average at that time. You know, sure. Three decades ago, even two decades ago, that might have been true. And and so he, I, I, there probably would have been more differentiation if you saw a true NFL prospect playing at that level at that time would be my guess. I know Navy had a bunch of 260-pound linemen when I went to a game in the 90s. Yeah. So I'm thinking, you know, how does this happen? So. <laughs> Yeah, now, you know, they get a different kind of person there. Uh, at, at, at um, but I, I think it's an interesting thing because I was thinking about that in the context. I know we're not talking about tackles, but I was thinking about that in the context of Trevor Penny. And I'm thinking yep. about, I watched some of his games. I'm like, I wouldn't necessarily say he dominated guys at the oh. FCS level in the games that I watch. And I contrasted that to the guy from last year who played guard, Quinn Minert. When I watched him, he was dominating guys. <laughs> I mean, it was apparent that this guy was like the best player uh, on the old line, maybe the best player on their team. I don't know that I could say that with Penny. He's got the size. Clearly, mm-hmm. he's got the size. But did he dominate FCS competition? I don't know that I could say that. He's, a, he's certainly a bully, um, whether that's good or bad. I mean, he had five personal fouls during the year. That's not good. We know that. But uh, like an offensive lineman in a year with five personal fouls, how the heck does that happen? How do you not stop it before then? You know, I mean, there's it, it, like no offensive lineman in the NFL who had I, – I, I'm not even sure if there's a guy who had two. But if there was a guy who had two, it's like two and they're the kind of technical fouls that come up during the game like a chop block where it's not, you're not really attempting to be a bully in the process, but you do something technically wrong. Or, you know, a face mask would be a, a common one for the defender. Uh, roughing the passer is the really common one for, for NFL defensive linemen. But for him to get five, I mean, how the heck did that happen? Yeah, I heard a crazy explanation. I don't think that I buy it, though. I heard somebody on a podcast say, well, maybe it's these smaller school uh, officials. They don't really understand because this guy's so much bigger and stronger. And it looks like <laughs> he's violating the rule and he's not really violating the rule. I'm like, I don't know about that. I'm pretty sure they know the rule at whatever level that they yeah. officiate. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not sure. This happened This happened with so many of these pods. It ends up being Penning gets mentioned at least once. But my, my problem also was that he stood over the body of the guy that he would down rather than make it looking for a block in level two. And that might have led to might have led to a taunting flag or something at some point. But even if it didn't, it's a waste of his effort on the play to be just standing there over the opponent. And I, I just I, there's a lot of things I don't like about this game. And the damn thing is, he's still the fourth best tackle in this draft. And he's so alone in that group that you have to really still consider drafting him or trading down to get him or, or you know, he has to be in your plans. So. Anyway. Everything else about him 
screams like Ravens fit. (laughs) That's the tough part. That's the tough part. All right. I'm going to move ahead to my number nine guy, and we'll be done with this in uh, under four hours, I believe. Cam Jurgens of Nebraska, uh, another guy, 6'3", 304, 492.40. Like that kind of quickness, certainly. Uh, everything's relative, and 492 is not fast if you're a defensive back, but it is flying if you're an offensive lineman. So that's uh, that's very fast. 33 and 3 eighths inch arms. That's that's more than adequate at the NFL level. That'll get it done. A 7'19-3 code from a guard. Uh, so that's pretty terrific. Actually, a guard, he's played... He's played center. Um, uh, so even so, uh, that's a terrific three cone. Uh, test well across the board uh, it, uh, at his pro day, but the 492 came at the combine. If you're one of these people who has a, you're an accountant, right? Or you're a, you're a, a lawyer who, do, who looks yeah. at uh, the stuff like this. So anyway, uh, the city. The term the IRS uses is jaundiced eye when looking at sources of income and whatnot. And, and, and a 492 at the pro day would be looked at it with a jaundiced eye for an offensive lineman. Uh, so anyway, that's a, uh, one way to think about it, but his was at the combine. Um, I think he's the kind of guy at that height who can probably play heavier and maintain some of that quickness, especially if he's at a 492 and has that three-cone speed. He can probably put on weight and, and still maintain adequate quickness at least and, and, and you know find that point on the efficient frontier of weight and quickness that uh, uh, NFL teams always want their players to find. Uh, three-year starter at Nebraska, former tight end in his case. So he's a tight end who became a center. Um to me, he moves as well as anybody in the entire class with the exception of Linderbaum. He's obviously got significantly longer arms than Linderbaum, uh, but he moves as well as anybody but him. Uh, the tools are all there to be, I think, good in a run-heavy offense. Uh, in terms of technique, uh, did not really seem to have a great pass-blocking anchor, and I, I hate to say that I'm actually kind of used to that with Raven centers, You know, going through players like Jeremy Zuda, and uh, Gradkowski and uh, Shipley and all kinds of guys who played center for this team that, that, that honestly had a lot of trouble with big nose tackles and were getting pushed back pretty regularly. We, we were actually pretty fortunate with Bozeman, who even so, his part of his game was kind of dying slowly on the route back to the quarterback and instead of really um, anchoring like a, uh, you know, like a guard or a tackle might. Uh, what else I want to say about that? Uh, I think uses his hands reasonably well as a pass blocker, but again, uh, you know, he's, he's not a dominant pass blocker, excellent round four investment in, uh, in my book and a guy who would be an upgraded center. Um, if McCary is needed elsewhere, uh, he, he would help you over Cologne say in that position. Well, I think I can save us some time cause he's my number eight guy. So okay. we don't even have to go into like a long discussion because you've already covered him. The one thing, I, two things I wanted to say about him that I thought were pretty, because, you know, I love background. Very accomplished uh, track and field athlete in high school. Four-time mm-hmm. state champ in the discus, three-time champ in the shot put. And even more impressive, his mom, seven-time national champ in the discus in the shot put. Wow. He's at uh, Nebraska <laughs> Kearney, and she's seven national titles in the shot put and discus. Twelve-time NAIA All-American at Nebraska Kearney. So he's got that track and field pedigree in his background. Now, the, that's the positive. Now, the negative – I think people are going to have to kind of dig into his injury history. He had a broken fibula and a dislocated ankle in high school, uh, broke a metatarsal on his right foot in 2018, re-aggravated a foot injury and uh, and missed the game back in 2020. So, I mean, he played this year and I, he looked like he was, you know, in, in good form and, and maybe passed all those things. But you know how they 
do the medical checks and the rechecks at the combine. So they'll, they'll dig into all of that stuff. But I agree with everything else you said about him. Like, if you can't get Linderbaum, this is like Linderbaum light. You know, yeah, you, there you go. For that kind of guy. <laughs> uh, Beef jerky, who, great name too. Beef jerky. Love it. <laughs> the, the, the guy, I cannot uh, pronounce his name. And I, and I got it wrong. Uh, the UCLA guy who I actually wasn't able to find his birthday as a football player, but I found his birthday from his background as a shot putter. Mm. Uh, Otito. Uh, okay. I, the way I thought it was is Obanaya. Yeah. Okay, but it's not. It's Obonia. Is that? It, it's, it's, I can't help. I got you corrected there. on the show. I can't yeah. pronounce it. <laughs> okay, but I thought it was Obadiah anyway, and and uh, uh, he had he had the same kind of uh, shot put background. Is this the same guy? And it must be because you know they're he's huge, and and so is the the picture of this guy. Uh, and, and it was surprising because as a shot putter, he's this you know bulked up massive bicep that you're working with as he as he's as he's you know putting the shot which you would expect on a football field he looks all arms and legs i mean he's a, he's a, he's a, you know he's a big guy so you know there's there's the ability to hide guns there when he's running around but but he's still he's he's arms and legs he's a really interesting player i liked him as a prospect by the way if you're uh, if you haven't yeah. looked at him before yeah yeah people may also know this jonathan ogden was a shot putter as well as uh joe thomas Cleveland browns long time both there track and field guys. There's something about that rotational torquey movement there in you those go. events that you you kind of you know that trend that seems to translate. Both of those guys talked about that. They talked about that in wrestling as things that really kind of translate well um, to playing offensive line. So can, there you, go. can you even imagine wrestling against Jonathan Ogden? Of what that would be like. I mean, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure who would be scarier. Thomas would be scary too. He had shorter arms. Ogden, you know, I, I boy. Walk out of the ring when you say yeah. just walk away. <laughs> walk away. There you go. Okay, so your number your number eight guy was Jurgens. So yes. we'll jump into my number eight guy who is Ed Ingram of LSU. Um if you've got him on your list, why don't you go first on him and I will follow up since I uh, just the last couple. Okay. I had him at number six, so we're not too far off. Um LSU. Uh, he's not one of the older guys. I think I look at his birthday. He's 23, uh, February, 1999. Uh, I'm going to save there's, there's a, there's a really big negative and I'm going to save that to the end. I'm sure you've seen it. A lot of people have probably heard about it. Um, but played on the same high school team with a lot of guys who ended up in the NFL, at least I shouldn't say a lot, two or three guys who ended up in the NFL, LaVisca Chanel, AJ Green, the cornerback, not the wide receiver and, uh, Katie Nixon who played wide receiver at Baylor. Um, you know, just in terms of on the field, did not have an accepted penalty over the last two seasons. So very good there, right? That's great. Uh, he's played at both right guard and left guard. He's already graduated with a degree in sports administration. Strong. The reason that I liked him and he really stood out to me, just strong, powerful guy. And he just on the hoof, he looked like an NFL offensive line. Like he didn't look like a college lineman still developing into an NFL prospect. He looked like an NFL offensive lineman. And he played like one in terms of his power, in terms of his strength. Uh, you know, a couple couple bad tendencies that I think could be cleaned up. When he pulled, he had a tendency to kind of drop his eyes on contact. Uh, sometimes he was looking for those kill shots, you know, instead of just, you know, really um, kind of getting good. He, he can bend and, and certainly create leverage, but instead of kind of just like locking in there, keeping his hands tight and really running his feet, he'd be looking to like just torpedo somebody at times, which, you know, in, in, in some ways that's fun, but you're looking for a guy to play a little bit more controlled um, when he has that kind of ability. And then, of course, the negative thing, and I'll, I'll turn it over to you. Um, 2018, he was arrested and charged with two counts of aggregated sexual assault involving a minor. 
Uh, he was suspended for all of the 2018 season. A little over a year later, all those charges were dismissed. Um, mm-hmm. People have tried to look into it. Teams can probably get it, but I, you know, people who are like draft analysts and said those records are sealed. And so, like, it should be. He was not. 16 at the time when it occurred. Uh, you know, it's one of these things that that. Uh, Look, it's choices people make as adults. I, 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 terrible that this happened, by the way. Uh, you know, great that that he does not. They did not pursue the charges. You know, good for, good for him. Good for hopefully the situation wasn't as bad as as was was you know originally suggested. But it, it, this is also you know you're kind of you're passing this this milestone into manhood, and I, I'm not going to forgive everything somebody that age might do. But on the other hand. You know, it's been a number of years. It's been what almost seven years since that occurred for him. I mean, he's a different person. I'm, I'm, I'm of the opinion that you know there there has to be some way at which you you know some point at which your sins are forgiven during life that gives you a chance to start over. And for for Ed Ingram, uh, you know, first of all, I mean, I I think his response would probably be, you know, I I, I wasn't found guilty. I I. I as teams talk about him, the thing I think you're probably going to want to hear from him is one, some remorse, if if they think, or or good explanation of it, or or three, and this would really be might maybe more important than either of the first two is just an understanding that that, that uh, I've got to be very careful about things that could get me in trouble in general. I don't, I can't have any repeat of behavior. I have to be, I have to be more careful. But you know, part of this is I can't put myself in in crowd A, or I can't drink and be out at 2 a.m. in the morning or I can't do this and that. I mean, he's, he's got to diagnose what keeps him from putting himself in bad situations. And we certainly have a lot of NFL players who put themselves in some bad situations. And, uh, you know, at that Ingram, at least it was a few years ago. And, and I, I, I don't know how you feel about Michael, but that's where I am on it in terms of, of, uh, yeah, I tend to, I tend to agree with you. I mean, you know, people make mistakes, young people, tend to make their fair share of mistakes, even things that, you know, on their face can look really egregious. Of course, you, you know, we just said it, those records are sealed. So we don't know exactly what happened and, and what didn't happen. I really liked him as a player. The, the, that part though, I just don't know the Ravens, if it's a strict zero tolerance kind of thing for that. I mean, we know going back to Ray Rice, you know, Bashadi kind of laid that gauntlet out there, but I don't know if somebody's had their charges dismissed, does that change things? You know, I, I don't know. I don't know. So it's going to be interesting to see, um, you know, kind of where he goes. And if, if, if he were to come to the if the Ravens were to select him, then I think it would tell us a lot about, you know, their position on that, um, at least with regards to him. And, and maybe, you know, they vet his story. And in their opinion, um, it was something that didn't rise to their sort of, you know, knockout level for these kinds of things. So, um, you know, we we try to stick to the on-field stuff just because we don't know that other stuff. But on the field, I really liked him. I mean, he just yeah. looked like an NFL offensive guard to me. I, I like him too. And and I think, you know, the, the hardest thing about the Ravens picking him is not even their own vetting of him. They'll do it. But it's the hardest part is how they have to explain it to a fan base that, may, that they perceive as having very little tolerance for it. I, I think, you know – we live in such a politically correct world and it makes it very difficult to reconcile past behaviors in such a way. This isn't a matter of political correctness. I mean, it's way beyond that. Um, but it's also one where, you know, the, the, the facts have to be understood 
to get down to it. And otherwise, you know, I don't want to ruin a young man's life over it. Want to really under, try and understand what happened. And um, by by dropping this guy on your draft board, you know, you can you can justify part of it by wanting to get value. And I don't think that's a terrible choice with Ed Ingram and all. But if if you dropped him completely off and you didn't draft him because of this, I think that would be a, probably a mistake. That uh, that some other team is is probably going to get value here, and um, and I, in all likelihood, nothing like this will ever come up for him again. Yeah, and you just have, like you said, you you just really have to dig into the story and really try to understand what happened. But you're right; there's the whole perception is reality thing, and you do you know have to consider, hey, are we alienating a portion of our fan base by taking a player? Like, regardless of the facts, regardless of what we've done and what we were able to uncover. Uh, now, this is a much different. I don't even want to make the analogy. I won't. I won't analogize it. But okay. think about the quarterback up in Cleveland, and think about that situation and what that says to a fan base. You know, with that going on again, all of that still has to run its course, you know, in terms of the legal process, the civil case, you know, the civil side, since there weren't any criminal charges brought. But still, these are considerations that have to be made, um, you know, when when you you do these kinds of things. And obviously, with the money they committed to Sean Watson, that's a whole other level of of consideration that has to be done. Unbelievable. uh unbelievable contract we haven't had a chance to talk to I, I liked ingram as well he's played left guard and right guard at lsu played both of them very well uh has that minimum length to play tackle so that's enticing if you want a guy who can step in at tackle if you need him uh, i think it would probably in his case be on the right side would be the natural place and you'd have to move a morgan moses over if he had something to happen to stanley or or Stanley doesn't recover or whatever, um, delivers a lot of power at the line of scrimmage. It would work well uh, with combination blocks. If the Ravens are running their 2019 offense, more pistol again, lots of combination blocks in the middle, um, he'd, he'd be very effective at that. He'd be an, a great guy to add to that, a good guy who can move to L2, hold a block. Um, I thought he did a pretty good job of playing with his line mates in terms of setting them up. And, and some of that's on the line mate and, and, you know, being sure that he's giving the go code at the right time to the, to the guys moving to level two. But uh, I, I liked him overall as a lineman, really liked him. And he was, let's see, I had him number eight and you had him number seven, right? Or six. Yep. That's right. Uh, I had him number six. I have okay. Marcus Hayes number seven. I know you already, you already talked about Hayes. Okay. And I had Fortner number seven and your number six guy you just said was Ingram. So I guess we'll go to my number six guy. And I, that's who might be off your list entirely. That's Sean Ryan of UCLA. So let me go down to him here. I had him on the tackle. I wanted to put him because I do think he projects as a guard. But I was okay. like, I don't know Ken wants me to get into that part of it. No, you, you project him wherever you want. But either way, I wouldn't – no objection to how the guests – does play six five three twenty three, uh, thirty two and five eights is is too short to to end up at tackle in this league. So I wouldn't project him there. Five twenty five forty, uh, thirty four and a half inch vertical is good for a guard. Um, I think he has you know those solid backup interior offensive line size and tools. He did play left tackle at UCLA as as uh, Michael mentioned. Uh, doesn't have the length of that at the NFL level. Left guard if he can handle the pulling. Um, the unideal length to me says don't put him at right guard, but the Ravens had Marshall Yanda at right guard for years and he didn't have ideal length. He was a guy who got by and uh, did all kinds of survival techniques to, uh, uh, to get his uh, opponent turned and was very effective at it. Uh, you know, the funny thing about this, and, and the, there's a guy or two every year who falls in this category. Christensen from BYU was a guy last year, but Sean Ryan may be a guy who would be best suited at center. He'd be huge there. The arm length would be good or, or okay. Let's put it that way. His size at 6'5", 323, 
I always look for, is there a guy who doesn't have ideal tools for guard or for tackle who might do better center? And Ryan really seems like the guy in this draft who might be reasonable for that. Uh, You know, one of the good things about I thought about him was uh, when I look at him at tackle at UCLA in 2021, he's not a click his heels together offensive tackle. So he seems he takes better steps, keeps the good spacing. The, The guy who's Absolutely fantastic at that in this class is Neil in terms of um, uh, keeping his uh, steps spaced very well. The other guys are not they're not heel clickers, but they're wide to narrow guys uh, where they where they can get off balance by by uh, by getting too narrow during their natural uh, lateral movement. Didn't really see that from Ryan. A lot to like here. If the Ravens draft him, they might be thinking back upright tackle. They might be thinking the versatility to play inside. Um, I, I, I really would prefer if the Ravens didn't try for another multi-position guy. I, I, yeah, the more that they can get guys who play one position, and, and you know, it, it certainly always helps to lubricate the machine to have two guys who can play everywhere kind of thing. So they got McCarry, he can play a lot of positions, you know, maybe they, maybe they figure someone else for that as well. But um, I think it's really hurt Tyree Phillips career to be moving around from position to position. It really hurt Michael Orr's career uh, to move off a play in right tackle. Um, he could, he could have, he could have had a much better career if he just stayed at right tackle uh, for his entire career. So I, I hate to see it when they do that. So hopefully with Ryan fight a position, stay there. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things where it's, it, it doesn't work for every guy, right? There's some guys who can do it, who can handle um, kind of everything that comes with playing multiple positions. And there's some guys who can't, and you can do you know, the word you, you use exactly. You can ruin guys uh, by trying to do that. And, you know, that's up to the coaches really to be able to assess that properly and say, is this the guy who can do it? Or is this a guy that we kind of need to keep at one spot and let him really get comfortable and learn one spot? Um but Ryan's interesting. Ryan at center is an interesting thing because, I mean, you look at some of the conversions they've done in the past, guys who play tackle in college, whether it's Ryan Jensen or Pat McCarran. Ryan Jensen, yep. You know, yeah, and they, they converted to a center in the NFL. So if anybody can do it, uh, it's probably Joe DeLisandris and, and, you know, the rest of the the, also the, the assistant coaches there. Um, they, they certainly have the, uh, the experience in doing it. But, again, it's not a one-size-fits-all. You can't just say, oh, okay, well, yeah, they've done it before. They can do it with any guy. It depends. Right. Everybody's not cut out to do it. Mm-hmm. All right. So Ryan was uh, on honorable mention or even off your list entirely. Uh, no, nah, he would have been he would have been on the honorable mentions because, again, I just carved out those guys who played tackle um, in college. Right, I, had said. Home, I had Luke Gadecki, had a bunch of guys. So I'd be shocked if we didn't have the same top five in some order, but it's going to be fun to go through it. So who's your number five guy? All right. We'll see this. I think this will be the test right here because you might not have him. Uh, Dylan Parr is my number. I have number five. Okay. 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 <laughs> All right. Um, another guy who not not, not in yeah age is not his thing. Size, you know, is probably going to be the knock with some teams. Six two three eleven. I mean, I think that that's probably you know adequate at center at guard. You might think okay, maybe you'd like him to be a little bit bigger. You know, depending on the system. Uh, if you're in a zone based system, maybe you're fine with it. If you're in more of a gap heavy scheme like the Ravens, you, you probably want a little bit more size for your guard. But the thing that stood out to me watching him was just a balance and body control. He never looked like he was out of control, really moved, um, you know, very concisely. You know, his movements weren't sloppy or anything like that. I think he had a tendency to lunge a little bit at times and get off balance, but generally move, uh, you know, 
very well and, and very controlled. I saw him um, in a couple different games. I saw him at right tackle against Majay Sanders uh, from Cincinnati and really played him well uh, back in 2020. That really was the first game that kind of caught my eye with him. You know, a lot of experience. He started 51 games over four seasons and three, three and, and, and double digit starts at three different positions, left guard, right guard, right tackle. So a lot of experience there. Uh, I think he took some snaps at, at center at the senior bowl. I don't think he's played center in college um, at Memphis at all, but I, I do think they had him take some snaps there. And that's actually where I think his best fit is. I think he's probably huh. about yeah. at a center. Not to say he couldn't play guard. I think he could, but he's another one of those guys similar to Jurgens in some ways uh, in that he did not play O-line in high school. He was a linebacker and a tight end, and he didn't actually move to the offensive line until he got to Memphis. I think he redshirted his first year because they just didn't know what to do with him. He was just an athletic guy. We didn't know what to do with him. And then 2018, they moved him to the old line, and he's put on like 85 pounds since he came yeah. into Memphis. So he was I, really I'm not surprised. Yeah. So I, first of all, there's so much. This is it's like almost like you're reading off my sheet, literally, in terms of, of doing this review. But let's start with the measurables first, because that six three three eleven was at the combine, but he but put on twenty six pounds to do the combine. He played he played supposedly at two eighty five. That's what we listed. I, I didn't I didn't see that number anywhere, but I, so I went to the Memphis media guide for it, yeah. and sure enough, two eighty five on the on the on the roster there. So he said, you know, you mentioned him gaining all that weight through school. It's it's not really surprising, I guess, that that would have happened. But uh, uh, very lean frame definitely does not look anything like three eleven when you watch him play on tape. Uh, and the, the, the two bullets I have exactly are like almost the exact cop. Short steps, maintain balance well, but moves quickly to level two. And the second was should not have to lunge in level two with his quickness, but still yeah. does sometimes. Yeah. So uh, it's just it, 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 it's Yeah, okay. Uh, I thought he had pretty fast hands. Uh, it, it, that will, will, you know, his, his okay length at 33 and, and an eight for playing on the inside. Uh, he can't play tackle at that, I don't think, or, or it would be a, it would be a struggle anyway. But, but his hands seemed pretty fast, so that was good. Uh, and I agree with you that he could be a terrific NFL center. Um, the other thing is that if he goes to left guard, I think he could be one of the best pulling guards in the league if he can convert what is a lot of apparent quickness. I mean, you know, a left guard, you do two things. First of all, you pull, but that's not even that many plays per game because even in the Ravens system, seven, eight, nine, maybe on average, and that's a ton. I mean, they, they pull a ton. Um, but you get to level two a lot on other run plays. So if you're running the ball 35, 45 times in a game, if, if you're the 2019 Ravens again and they want to duplicate that, then, you know, all the times he can get to level two, uh, he can use that quickness to really be uh, uh, be helpful. Another team that could really use him is a team that's got a good screen game. That's not really the Ravens, yeah. but uh, but uh, you know the New Orleans Saints or somebody like that who really their offense is based around the screen. But I liked him also. I had him at number five. Oh, look at that! I didn't know. I didn't know that we were going to have one of those. I was like, we're going to be different on all of these. Um, we'll, we'll have some differences at the top. I guarantee you. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You want me to go to number four? Go. Okay. I've got uh, Jamari Sawyer. I don't know mm-hmm. if I'm pronouncing his, his last name correctly, but he's uh, my number four uh, guard out of Georgia, uh, senior. Uh, still a relatively young guy, 21. Uh, got a, a July 2000 birthday. But to me, he kind of has that prototypical size uh, for guard, 6'3", 321. I know he played left tackle uh, in the 2021 season, and he's played, I think, at least four spots. I think he played both tackles and both guards. Um, he may have taken some snaps in practice, at center, all five. Uh, he's played all okay. five in the last three years. 
because Dane and his guy said he, he he had him you know snaps at center as an underclassman, but he didn't he didn't chart him for any snaps in a game. Um, so I don't know, but yeah, I, I've I've seen that in some other places too that he played all five. Um, so you know the fact that he can stay out there at tackle in the SEC against some of the guys that you're going up against there, uh, you know I I think you could see his foot quickness. Uh, enough quickness, right? Not a guy that you probably want to leave at tackle uh, and moving to the NFL, at least in my opinion. I think he can play there, but I think you probably want him at guard. You probably want him inside uh, a little bit more. Um, only gave up one career sack to Will Anderson, of all people. And we know that guy's a complete freak. He probably would have been the number one overall player in this draft. Probably will be in next year's draft, too. So uh, he's, he's a freaky kind of guy. Um, you know, 22 or 23 starts were at offensive tackle. But again, I think he projects as a guard. I talked about the solid foot quickness and the anchor. Uh, I think his feet can get a little narrow. I think his base can get a little narrow sometimes. And he kind of gets that wide hand thing going on where he exposes his chest. Uh, we saw that a lot with uh, Alejandro Villanueva last year. Yeah. So, uh, that's, that's, that's not, you know, something that you love. Had five penalties as a senior, including two false starts. But I don't, I don't think that's, you know, a huge, huge thing. Uh, just another little interesting nugget. He was the number three number three recruit in Georgia in the 2018 class behind only Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields. So, you know, very high pedigree uh, coming out of high school. And uh, I think he had a very accomplished career there in Georgia. I mean, he capped it off with a, with a natty. So uh, can't beat that. There you go. Uh, a lot to love about this guy. Um, I, I, you know, I think that a lot of people will fall in love with his arm length at 33 and seven eighths and say, yeah, maybe we shouldn't move him off tackle because he's, he's, he's got the length just about to play the position, certainly kind of minimum length. What I love about it is even, even at pretty long arms or, you know, arms that would be in the probably about the 60th, 55th, 60th percentile, maybe even a tackle, he did 31 bench reps. Very good length to bench relationship. Very powerful player. You you definitely can see that on all over the tape. Is that he's you know he uses that power. Um, you mentioned the positional versatility. Um, I think he could he could succeed at any of the three interior positions of the NFL. Um, you mentioned center. Uh, I would I would love him there. I, I always love whenever you can you know find a big center uh i think he can play guard too uh, i do have questions about his movement at guard uh he probably would figures better for me as a right guard uh with his length being pretty good to to try and torque that defensive tackle and get the front gate opened on on a right-handed run game um he would be a huge center. I mean, he'd be big, he'd be long, he'd be all the things you want because a lot of teams are hiding a shorter arm player at, at, at that center. Um, he's relied on his size a lot in college. You know, Georgia obviously plays an SEC schedule, and they play one of the one of the really great SEC schedules, except they don't have to play Georgia, which is nice. So uh, they, But they, they obviously they play a tough schedule every year, and they, and they do face plenty of NFL-quality edge rushers uh, throughout that SEC, and, and he's handled a, a lot of them. And despite what I would call some balance issues, he definitely is not a, um, uh, a he's a better lateral movement guy. And he's not. I'm not saying he's quick, but he's better at keeping his balance laterally than he than he is at keeping it front to back. There's more lunging in his game there. But despite that, he, he only allowed the QB to go down three times in three seasons. That's I mean, he's incredible. Just just yeah. an incredible. He's most of that was a tackle. And you're going against really, really good pass rushers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so oh, yeah. very impressive. 
So, you know, there's, there's not too many guards that I'm willing to go to round three, four in this draft, but, but uh, Salyer's one of them. And uh, he's a fairly obvious guard center to me. Uh, he'd be depth initially. He'd jump in. I don't think, you know, I, a third round is right on the border of someone that I need, a, I need a performance from right away as opposed to I can let them develop. Um, in his case, I think, I think because there's a, a fairly high ceiling on what he could be, I think you could risk letting him develop for – you know, a, a year. One of the things I really don't know is what sort of agreement the Ravens have or expectation the Ravens have with Zeitler for next year. Uh, a lot of older players signed two-year deals on their way out, uh, which which are effectively one-year deals. In fact, AV effectively had that last year. Now, not that any Ravens fans want AV back at six million dollars this next year, but uh, AV is essentially signing a ten-year. It was really a ten million dollar one-year deal, as opposed to a sixteen million dollar two-year deal he signed. Um, and that was true of Yonda, Steve Smith, Ed Reed. I mean, lots of players that that they really uh, have signed to two-year deals. Um, Ed Reed probably had five two-year deals at the end of his career. It seems like that. Maybe it wasn't that many <laughs> to, to, to keep it going. Um, but but. You know, that's that's just the way it's done. I don't know what the Ravens agreement is with Zeitler and whether the expectation is going to be that he'll play out that third year or that they'll have to resign him in order to extend him for a year and essentially give him another uh, two to play one kind of deal at the end of that. So a lot of that deals into how do the Ravens look at the guard position going forward? Are they replacing Zeitler in 2023 or are they replacing Zeitler in 2024? And I don't think you draft a player like Salyer to, to, to replace Zeitler in 2024. I think with the draft capital involved, you really got to be replacing him in 2023 or you got to value that depth enough for up to two seasons uh, to really want to do it. So to me, he's a he's kind of a meh pick at 76. And, and that means the Ravens will probably lose him. I think he'd represent good value at 100, which is the last pick in the third round for the Ravens. Um, and, you know, there might even be a potential trade down from 76 that gets him into more of a wheelhouse range where they have a better chance to get him maybe around – 85 or 90. Yeah, I can see that. If you're getting close to that pick and he's still there and you're looking at the other teams and you're thinking, hey, there's a chance that we maybe get him in the 80s or like you said, even closer to 90. I mean, I I, I think that'd be, you know, an appealing move uh, because he's a guy, like you said, who I think could come in and could, I mean, look, I I don't know the guy could come in and and be your starting center as a rookie. I think that's very difficult to do. Um, But I think he's a guy who could compete there. He obviously can compete at guard. And so, you know, that, that could give you some flexibility, um, you know, taking a guy like that. Now, look, if he comes in and if you hear – if you believe the stuff that the coaches at Georgia say about, you know, obviously he was a team captain. Uh, they talk about his leadership skills. They talk about his intelligence. Um, you know, maybe he can come in and handle that. But obviously playing center in the NFL is is difficult. And it really also depends on how much of the pass protection and line call responsibilities you put on your O-line as opposed to your quarterback. Now, I think with a guy like Zeitler, I think you're probably fine. I think he can handle and help a center, a young center, with a lot of that kind of stuff, same way Yonda did with guys yeah. next for years. Uh, I don't think they put a ton of that stuff on Lamar, uh, from my understanding right now. I think it's increased a little bit each year, but I don't think they put a ton of it on him. So then that means more of it has to go on your line. And then if you have a rookie at center, then that means more of it has to go on your most veteran offensive line guys. Um, but you know what was interesting? Bozeman talked about having Makari out there, and he was like, it was like having another center out there. Because he's like, I'm making the calls at center, but Makari would see stuff that I didn't see. And like, hey, hey, no, check this, check this. And he was like, it was great having him out there. Um, so that's maybe that's really good to hear. 
Yeah, so maybe if you got two veteran guys out there who have that kind of experience, maybe you feel a little bit better about rolling a younger center out there. But, you know, who knows? We'll see. Okay. Uh, that's a good one. Uh, so I had I also had Sawyer at number four. By the way, the difference between picking at seventy six and one hundred, a lot of people might say, "Well, what's the big deal?" You know, if you're gonna if you wanted him anyway at one hundred, just take him at seventy six. But the truth of the matter is that that pick at seventy six is worth more than twice as much as the pick at one hundred by the JJ chart. Now, admittedly, you get into those middle rounds in particular. Flatter valuations would tell you there's not that much of a difference between the picks. Maybe it's worth. 40% more, 50% more instead of worth 110% more. But, you know, most trades are made by the JJ charts. So if you can, if you can find someone who wants to move up, trade down when you can, uh, you know, to, to, to harvest that additional value there. And, and, and you just can't reach for a player. It tells you just how costly it is to reach for a player. If you're thinking of taking the guy you have pegged for 100 at 76, um, it's just, it's a dangerous thing to do. You lose a lot of value. And that's the beauty of the JJ chart. Uh, JJ chart for me is that is it maybe the most accurate, you know, sort of determining mm-hmm. thing for for pick value? Maybe not, but everybody uses it. And everybody so, it. <laughs> so you can use that as leverage to kind of navigate your way around uh, it, because that's the market, right? The, the JJ chart kind of sets the market there, and you see that. Um, you know, we saw that with Sashi Brown in Cleveland, regardless of what people think about the picks. If you look at the methodology behind, hey, we're going to try to create another draft and a half, he said was his goal in terms of what they were doing with getting rid of, uh, you know, trading or releasing veteran players and acquiring picks. And he understood that, hey, there's a real premium for next year picks. Like I can get a future first or a yeah, future second yeah. for a today's second or today's third. Um, and he saw that there was a real premium there to be had, to be won. Uh, if you were willing to do that. So that's a whole nother conversation. But uh, it's, it's it's something, you know, I, I'm not very smart about, but I like to learn about it. I'm very interested in it. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah it's, it's, I, I'm getting I, some feedback from you, Michael. I'm not sure how it's happening, but but I'm OK. It seemed to just stop right there. Yeah, yeah, um, I think some children who've come into the house upstairs. Uh, no, this is I'm hearing my own voice. So that's, that's why I'm worried about it. But anyway, we, uh, getting back to the, the point you're making, the Ravens are in a draft where they might really want to consider resetting into next year, not because there's not a lot of value in this draft. There's a ton of value in this draft, but there might be enough value in this draft that you also want to reset into next year because of the value you can harvest from a pick this year. And you mentioned earlier in this very show that, that, that they're also going to extend the rule for allowing uh, people to stay in college for an extra year effectively. Yeah. Double check me on that. I think that's true. Okay. Double check me on that. Well, if, if true, that, that could mean that next year's draft will be a fairly good one as well and would would create additional opportunity then. So I'm, I, the Ravens only have seven picks next year. They don't have any compensatory picks coming, and that's pretty well, as far as I know, that's set at this point. They've signed some people, and everybody they lost is a, is a incredibly a low-value free agent. I had such hopes that Elliott, Bozeman, and Averitt were going to get signed to big contracts. And none of that materialized. And, you know, the Ravens, of course, have signed some some big money players, including Marcus Williams. So they're not going to get anything back in terms of a, of a comp pick. And, uh, and that's really it's really sad. So it means they have to think about how do you reset your draft? Do you trade a four for a five this year and a four next year or a six this year and a four next year? And that might be the kind of trade that'd be really enticing to the Ravens, uh, you know, if they could if they could do that. Yeah. Okay, so I think we're up to number three right now because we both had Sawyer at, at number four. Who is your number three guy? I've got Tyler Linderbaum. Uh, Me number, too. 
<laughs> we are in step. We are in step. Uh, so I think people know because he's he's been a name that's been connected to the Ravens a bunch throughout the process. Uh, 6'2", 296, um, Iowa offensive lineman. Of course, people think about Marshall Yonda and all those connections there. Uh, very athletic guy. Uh, of course, the size is going to be the thing that sticks out for people, and he played in a, in a very zone-heavy scheme there. But six-sport athlete. Yeah, that's one, two, three, four, five, six. Six-sport athlete in high school. Wow. <laughs> so pretty athletic dude. Football, baseball, wrestling, track and field, basketball, and golf. Um, actually can't fit that golf. in. How do you even do that? I mean, I, I, I don't know how it was at your school, but there was you, you had three athletic seasons you could play in. And... Well, one story I read, uh, I'm, I'm sure if he did this all the time, but one story I read that when he was, um, he'd already enrolled at Iowa, he was still finishing up like summer baseball. And so he would do that in the morning and then go to afternoon practice at Iowa. Huh. Uh, so he was, he was juggling it some kind of way there for a while. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, very, uh, very well-rounded athlete came to Iowa yeah. as a defensive lineman and actually uh, made the transition to center after James Daniels left early for the NFL. Um, people might know James Daniel. He played center and guard for Chicago. I don't know if he's still with the bears or not, but he, he played center up there. Um, Linderbaum started all 35 games over the past 30, uh, past three seasons, uh, won the Remington Award in 21 uh, as the nation's top center. He's the first Iowa O-lineman, uh, o, uh, first Iowa center to win that. I did not see Incredible, that. isn't it? I, all the O-line three of offensive linemen, yeah. I think they would have had another center, but he was the first one. Um, you know, he, he wasn't able to do the testing and – and, and this thing with the pro day is weird. I've seen pro day numbers, but Dane said he didn't work out at his pro day. So I don't know what's going on there. Uh, but he had a left foot sprain uh, that he got in the bowl game and that that sidelining for the combine. I had a little bit on his pro day that, that he, he just did it recently. It was, it was uh, three days ago on 411. A 503.40, which is one thing that I'm going to ding him a little bit for. 713.3 cone, which is fantastic for, for a center, and 24 bench reps. So that's uh, those were the numbers from that pro day. Okay, and that might be why, because I think what Dane tries to do is he tries to wait till all the pro days are over, or at least as mm-hmm. late as he can. But you know what happens? They're guys who, who can't work out yep. for injury reasons or whatever, and they have these later dates. So I think he probably did just miss out um, on him. But, yeah, he, he's a guy that's been connected through connected to the Ravens throughout the process, although we've heard Eric DaCosta say on more than one occasion that smaller centers, I think even last year, he might have put an actual weight range on it last year. I don't think he did it this year. But smaller centers are probably you know not the kind of profile that they're probably going to draft now. Is that, you know, smoke or signal? Who knows? But he's, he said it at least or at least made reference to it in two consecutive years now. So who knows? But otherwise, great player. I don't think there's any knock on the player at all. Very good player. In terms of uh, what a, a player does well, like what their trump card is, the thing that they, they do best, he might have the best trump card uh, of any offensive lineman. And maybe Icky. Maybe Iki Aquanu, his trump card is pretty good, too, in terms of being physical. Interior offensive lineman, I'll say that. Because in a zone scheme, this guy can reach anybody. He can absolutely yeah. reach anybody. He can get up to level two. He can get out on screens. He can do all that. Yeah, yeah he's, he, he moves around like a cat. He is, he is so quick. And you, you often will see that if you if you great offensive line player, even if you just look at offensive line play, you'll often see a guy on the inside get beaten 
multiple ways. First of all, he could just get beaten on a, on a simple reach block where he has to take a step and block somebody, and he's just not as quick as the defender. The defender is too quick getting through that hole. He can't impact him. often happens in his zone. Uh, it can happen for other reasons, too. But it happens on blitzes and stunts um, as well when he has to change his assignment and, and, and often jump to into a gap to, to get somebody. And he's very good at that. Linderbaum, that's one of the things that really stands out is just how quick he is to pick that up. Uh, I, he'll be great in level two and three. Uh, if, you, if your offense depends on the screen game, he'd be great for that. There's a lot of things. He can certainly help the Ravens in terms of, of what he would do. I've got two issues with him. I, I think he didn't run as well at the pro day as his – previous quickness indicators had been hopefully that means he just had a bad day running and not that he still has some lingering impact of the foot injury um Mm -hmm. but the other thing is and and this is the big one for linderbaum is how much of that is that arm length really going to impact him at the nfl level he's 31 and eight inches that's just way too short uh you, you really can't play in the nfl at that level at any offensive line position easily and you know when he gets Bigger men regularly are right on top of him are going to lock on. Is that going to give him a lot of trouble against the bull rush? Is it going to give him a lot of trouble turning an offensive lineman the way he'd like? And, you know, these shorter arm players, they do tend to develop the survival tools to get by with shorter arms, to swat arms, uh, to, to, to use their, their, their quickness to move out of the way so they don't take the, the, the direct punch or bull from the, from the, uh, from the defensive lineman. So he, he'll probably have his techniques for avoiding it, but I just don't think of highly of him as the top two guards in this draft. So that's why I had him at number three, and apparently you're in the same place. It's, uh, uh, it's interesting. He's too rich for, for me at 14, way too rich. Um, I don't think he'll be around at 45, so it may not be even an issue of what the Ravens did. But if the Ravens traded down uh, into, let's say, 30, I think there's a good chance he'll be there. It's just going to be a host of other uh, competing needs at that point. And I don't think Linderbaum would be at the top of the list for me if you had other players like like one of the top uh, corners available, uh, uh, um, Booth, say, if he was available at that point or – who are some other good choices that would be, you know, pass rushers that would be down there. The Kobe Dean, you know, I still haven't seen his, uh, talking about the late pro days. He's supposed to have one. He was supposed to have it, I think yesterday. And I didn't, I could not find any results from it. So I assume it's been delayed again. Um, but he would be a guy who's, he's got a lot riding on, on that pro day because he could end up being at, at 18 or 20, or he could end up being at, um, uh, 50. If, uh, mm-hmm. if it really doesn't work out for him. So uh, I, I would really try to look into that one. But anyway, Flinderbaum, it's not like I don't like him in a player. He's clearly this best center in this draft. It's just I don't think he fits the Ravens exactly in terms of, of uh, where they are picking. And I don't think he fits the Ravens exactly in terms of the kind of mauling offense that they have. But he, he probably would help them in terms of um, – of being a better pass blocker, even though that's also where his potential weakness could be at the NFL level. Yeah, I think if you were to to consider him at fourteen, you're mm-hmm. you're doing it with the expectation that you're getting Jason Kelsey. It's like yeah, this better. is where he's going to become. Uh, if if you take him right there, and even Jason Kelsey didn't get didn't go at fourteen, but uh, <laughs> you hope that's the kind of player that he would become. I mean, you could look at the Minnesota center Garrett Bradbury, who I think went in the teens or 20s. He didn't work out at all. No, nah, and it hasn't, yeah, by, by all accounts, 
Uh, in their run game, in their zone game, sure, that's been fun. That's 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 been fine, I think. But in pass protection against bigger, you know, bigger body, you know, defensive linemen, it's been a real struggle. So I've, I've heard. Yeah, in the division, we've had Billy Price go to the Bengals, and and he was very highly thought of, and and of course that didn't work out at all. And he's he's now he left the Bengals now. The Bengals are actually a team that are a pretty good bet, I think, to get Linderbaum. They're they're in the right position to get him at thirty one. Um, and there's a pretty good chance that they um, th- that they end up with him. And I, I hope Linderbaum's not as good as we think, because I certainly don't want that in the AFC North. But, uh, uh, but anyway, we'll we'll see. Uh, he's, he's certainly a lot of people really like the guy. I'm just uh, you know you know me in arm length and not being able to get by that. But uh, but anyway, that's where I am. Okay. Hey, number two. This is it. Number two. This, if we got the same guy, I think this is a done deal. To wrap. We got five, five to one would be amazing. Yeah. All right, Kenyon Green. Kenyon Green, Texas A&M. There you go. <laughs> so. There it is. Texas A&M, a true junior, uh, 21 years old, uh, March 15, 2001, birthday. 6'3", 323, um, you know, arm length, 34 and an eighth. So I know Glad somebody else says that for once. Thank you. That's got to make. Well, I, I knew, you know, uh, we, we've talked about this enough. I, I know that, that that definitely caught your eye. Um, you know, 20, 20 bench reps for a guy with, with 34 inch arms. I don't think that's anything to, to, you know, be too, too disappointed about. It's okay. Um, you know, real, real pedigree guy coming out of high school, number three ranked OT in the 2019 class, uh, number one recruit in Texas ahead of his teammate, the Marvin Lill and, that's amazing. Uh, and Garrett Wilson, wide receiver up at Ohio state. So he was, he was the number one recruit in Texas. So, uh, very, very highly thought of coming out of high school, um, also played basketball and threw the shot put. So, you know, he's got that. Both of his parents were collegiate athletes. Uh, his dad played offensive line at Grambling State. His mom's a volleyball player. Um, I can go on a little tangent about volleyball, but I'm not. There's something I'm really interested in about that, but I'll set that aside. Um, played in every game over the last three seasons with 35 starts across four positions. Another one of those guys that's played yeah. all up and down the offensive line. Um, uh, one thing, I thought this was interesting. Only NCAA player with 80 plus snaps at four different O line positions in 2021. Only person, nobody else did. So, what was incredible about that is it's the first six weeks that he played all those different positions. And so, they moved him around like a, I don't know, all kinds of analogies come to mind, but I won't, I won't say any of them. And he didn't play center, but he played everywhere else on the line. And 80 plus snaps, I did not realize, but that's amazing. And you think about it, six weeks of play, that should only be about, what, 400 total snaps, maybe at 60, you know, 67 per game. Uh, so that's hard to do. It's hard to have that balance to get 80 at four, four positions. Very hard to do. Um, you know, just in, in terms of, of a, a negative, because um, we've talked about penalties kind of throughout. Uh, he had seven in 2021, six holding, one false start. He's got 15 in three years at Texas A&M. But, you know, part of me, I want to make an excuse for it. Part of me wonders about all of that positional switching and like, Mm -hmm. you know, you've got to do different things at each one of those positions and to just be able to juggle all of that. And and particularly like we talked about for 2021, doing that in those first six games, it just makes me wonder like, all right, am I going to be a little bit more mistake prone because, okay, I'm, I'm at this position uh, in this game, sometimes in the same game. Okay. Now I'm over here. <laughs> you know, you don't want to make excuses. You want guys to play clean and not, and not make, you know, stupid penalties or anything like that. But it just made me wonder because he's moved around so much, but, um, I really liked him as a prospect. I thought the bend that you talked about, he's probably the, one of the guys that that really caught my eye the most, just his ability to bend and create leverage. And I saw a big change in that from 2020 to 2021. 
I think he changed his body. Um, I think you could see increased flexibility from 20, uh, 2020 to 2021. Again, that's, that's a, you know, sort of squishy thing. You can't really, you know, measure it tangibly, just eye test. But, uh, at 2021, I saw him get into some, some leverage positions. I'm like, okay, that's how it's supposed to look. That's how you get up and get, how you get underneath another guy's pads. Uh, so I really like that. That's, that's very high endorsement, Michael. Appreciate that. Um, a lot of things to like about the guy. He tests average or worse pretty much yeah. across the board in everything. Even the 20 bench reps are, you know, at 34, it's not great. It's, it's, it's maybe not the worst. Like you're saying, it's not the most disappointing number I've ever seen, but I have to take it in context to be okay with it for an offensive lineman. I'm not excited about it. Certainly no matter what um, I think uh, he had a good get off from the line of scrimmage. Uh, he worked into level two effectively off combination blocks. So I liked it when I saw that a lot of that, you know, maybe, be a question of pad level again some of it is his teammates and if he's playing with a good teammate then uh you know he's 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 getting a good go code he's getting it early and 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 that guy's good about picking up the back end of that double team anyway i what i was noticing is really him moving into level two and being effective um did you have something to say i'm sorry Okay. No. I thought you I thought I saw you raise your hand there. Um, some team will, will let him play at guard, and he kind of seems to make sense at right guard to me with the arm length again. Um, if, if there are going to be teams who want to play him at right tackle. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, a, a, a player who has the size to do it, has the length to do it, uh, probably would be better suited on the inside. Darian Kennard is the other guy in this class who really stands out as a guy who needs to play at guard. Uh, given what his other characteristics are, even though he's got the length to play tackle. So, uh, uh, you know, he, he fits into that uh, that guy. In terms of whether or not the Ravens can get this guy, I mean, because he's a you know terrific, powerful, on-tape player, um, very unlikely the Ravens get him without trading down. I think he's too rich for 14 again. I think he won't last until 45. If you want to get him, you probably have to, go to the top of round two, maybe even the bottom of round one to, to get him. It, it would not shock me if green goes before Linderbaum. Obviously that's the way I've got him ranked on my board, but, but uh, uh, you know, teams that need a center might, might, uh, you know, react differently to that. Um, there's another reason that he won't end up in Baltimore. It's just the combination of Cleveland and Zeitler appear to have their jobs secure uh, you could even go to Powers and say, you know, maybe he's reasonable backup depth. I, I don't think that's necessarily true. I don't think it's necessarily true that, that Tyree is reasonable backup depth. Um, but a developmental player behind a guy the Ravens have for three years and a guy the Ravens have for two years, we hope, in Zeitler, uh, doesn't make a lot of sense. So, you know, if they want to get Kenyon Green in, they're going to have to figure out, uh, is this a guy we really want at right tackle? And then I think he's worth less to the Ravens than he is to some other team that can play him at guard. So I think the Ravens don't end up with him as much as I like him as a player. Um, there's so many, it's a mountain to climb to get Kenyon Green to the Baltimore Ravens in terms of position in the draft and, and what their needs are. Totally agree. They, like you said, they'd either have to fall back or move up to the early part of the second round. And then if you do that, then to your point, you've got to do something with the guys that you've got, you got to move Phillips somehow. I don't know if there's any trade value there, but you got to move him. So, I mean, look, they traded Brent Bredesen. So maybe, maybe who knows? Um, But (laughs) you'd have to do something like that to make you make yourself feel, you know, better about picking him where you have to pick him. Um, Mm -hmm. There's got to be a path to him to get on the field. Like 
immediately <laughs> or at least very, very soon. So, um, and I, I, like you said, I just, I just don't know that they're going to be able to do that, but that means at number one, we've got the same guy. We have the same guy. You go to it. You're first on him. <laughs> Zion Johnson. And I can't believe we had the same top five. Amazing. Uh, <laughs> Zion Johnson. Um, this to me was, you know, you, you hear, People in the NFL, you know, whether it's draft analysts or former scouts talk about uh, things aligning on a prospect, clean, like everything lines up with this guy. You look at the size, you look at the athletic testing, you look at the uh, off the field sort of intangibles in terms of, you know, intelligence. You look at on the field, the multiple positions that he's played, left guard, left tackle, right tackle. I'll say I don't think that he played great at left tackle that one time that season in 2020. But, you know, he did it. It was it was something that was available uh, and, and they did it out of need. But local guy uh, from Riverdale Baptist in Upper Marlboro, Maryland, where he played his high school ball, uh, actually didn't play football until his junior year. He was on the golf team. <laughs> he started <laughs> on the golf team at Riverdale Baptist and, and according to the report, was their best golfer. And then just decided when he was a junior, you know, because he had grown, obviously, in his body, maybe I'll give this this football thing. Uh, uh, <laughs> and so he actually ended up making the varsity team as a senior. And uh, an- another name uh, from the draft people might recognize, he, uh, so Zion Johnson played right tackle, and Christian Darisol played left tackle, uh, who went in the first round, I think, to the Vikings last year. There you go. And so also was on that team was Tariq Castro Fields, who's a cornerback uh, at Penn State, who I've seen some connection to the uh, to the Ravens. So interesting. You think about that. You got three you know, guys who one of the guys who's in the NFL and the other two are probably going to the NFL. And they only went six and five in 2016 <laughs> so just you know i guess the rest of the team just you know wasn't wasn't able to get it done uh but in terms of zion only one penalty in 2021 two-time team captain hasn't missed a game in the last five years it's 58 straight games uh double digit starts at those three positions i mentioned uh took snaps at center during the senior bowl and of course people saw probably the stuff on tv about him staying after practice to work on his snaps you know just once they asked him to do it he's just like well I'm going to get as good as I can. I'm not going to do it and just try to, you know, kind of get through the week. No, I'm going to take extra snaps every day before or after practice. Of course, coaches love that kind of stuff. Uh, graduated already with a degree in computer science, working on a master's in cybersecurity policy and governance. Nice. So kind of guy. Uh, but, yeah, just everything lines up with this guy. I don't think I mentioned that he started out at Davidson and then transferred. That's kind of an interesting story in and of itself. I won't go too, too far into it, but he went to Davidson because he basically was a no-star recruit because he didn't play a full mm-hmm. season until his senior year. So he was very under-recruited. So he goes to Davidson. Um, they play a pro-style offense their first year. They switch to a triple option offense the next year. So if you like some of that option connection stuff with Greg Roman, you got that there. But the interesting part was his offensive line coach left Davidson and uh, so both of them, so the offensive line coach, there was assistant coach. They both end up leaving Davidson in two different years. One left one year and went to Boston College. Um, obviously, Johnson transferred and he went to Boston College. And then the next year, the other coach left Davidson and came to Boston College. So it was kind of a weird connection there with those two former coaches at the school he was at. But uh, as you can tell by my enthusiasm, the guy I really like, my favorite was the first offensive lineman I watched and has been my favorite ever since. Like, I even with everybody else that I've watched, he's still my favorite. Yeah, I I, uh, I love him too. And I, I love the background stories you've had on all these players. Really appreciate that, Michael. This is really added to the, to the show. So many, so many things about Johnson are good in terms of the athletic testing, but 
32 bench reps with 34-inch arms. That is just one of the real wow numbers across the board this year. You know, Aiden Hutchinson had that amazing three-cone, and, uh, you know, some of the numbers that Tariq Woolen put up are are incredible, uh, you know, relative to his size and whatnot. But Zion Johnson with the 32 bench reps with those arms is is absurd. Uh, I did see his 23 in November, so I guess he's a redshirt junior. Yeah, I believe that's that's okay. Let me just double check what I've got here. Yeah, redshirt senior, redshirt Red senior. senior. So, so he is a fifth-year college guy. So it's it's uh, he's he's been through he's been through some travels here, even since that that golf team. Uh, yeah, I guess yeah. might have been six years ago Davidson at this point. Two years, I think. He was at Davidson for two mm-hmm. seasons before he went to Boston College. All right, uh, PFF had him for just six pass rush events in 364 pass blocking snaps, which is that's pretty freaking fantastic. Um, I, I liked the way his lateral steps uh, were very even steps. And, you know, again, you mentioned, I mentioned Neil among the offensive tackles as being really the guy. Zion Johnson among the guards, uh, probably the best at that. Uh, doesn't lunge too much, even out in space, so even goes to level two. Um, I'm not saying he looks like Miles um, Boykin, who is the ultimate in keep your feet and be a very effective blocker in level two, as far as I'm concerned. But, uh, he, he does it about as well as any guard you'll see in terms of, of being very positional at level two and, and getting that well. NFL ready, you know, in, in terms of an NFL ready guard who can also play tackle, the guy he reminds me of is the guy is the big fish who got away is uh, Michael Onweno who got to the Patriots. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, a guy who, who I think, you know, it's it's not a stretch to say this guy could could go out and, and, and play tackle. Obviously, guard is is, uh, you know, been uh, a spot everybody hasn't projected at, everybody expects him to, to be at. Uh, that was certainly the expectation of Onwena because he played all, all that at Michigan. Um, but it wouldn't be impossible in an injury situation, and I think he probably would be the natural guy in an injury situation, that you go to him instead of a player like um, Ben Cleveland certainly would be one, but, but moving McCarry back there would be another. I mean, I think if you looked at various options that you might have on the Ravens if Johnson was somehow drafted, I think he'd be the guy that would, that would move outside. Uh, as good as he is, the Ravens won't get him, unfortunately. Uh, he's a reach at 14. He, he probably should go in the 20s at some point. I'd expect him to be going 21, 25 in that range, maybe maybe as, as late as 30, but certainly not as, as late as 45. So the Ravens, again, would have to trade down to get him. Uh, it, it's possible, but again, same issues as with uh, – uh, we mentioned with uh, Kenyon Green is that the Ravens have their guards set. So for them to make that sort of investment in draft capital seems very unlikely. Um, it's another just a great player is going to get away. It's you kind of on draft night. One of the things it always feels like is we're running around and all the you know gold coins or whatever are slipping through our fingers. As we, you know, I see this draft going on. Or, you know, we, oh, I love that guy. Oh man, he was good. Yeah, and, and and you know, you go through there, and you know, half or 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 you know, forty five percent of the players fall into this group where you just you'd have been real happy to have them, and he got away, and and you're like, oh, and you know, it's only only those players who are at positions of obvious non need, like quarterback for the Ravens, are you happy they go off the board early? But anyway. Yeah, if they were going to take a first round center, he would be the guy for me. Okay. I know he has played center. I know he kind of just started down that path uh, through the, you know, the All Star game process at the Senior Bowl. But to me, I think he can do it. I think he can definitely do it. Um, you know, all of the intelligence and the you know the intangible stuff is there. Uh, I think he could do it as a rookie. 
and I think he could he could probably be pretty good there. Of course, he's going to have the normal ups and downs that that rookies have. But um, you know, people will point to Creed Humphrey, and I know Creed Humphrey played center in college, so that's different. Mm-hmm. But people look at him coming in as a rookie. Now, I think they they put a lot of pass pro stuff on Mahomes, and I think that helps. Um, you know, when you have a young center. But by all accounts, Creed Humphrey was another guy, really smart guy. Uh, in terms of football intelligence and, and understanding, you know, pass protection and line calls and stuff like that. So if you think you got a guy with that kind of mental makeup and then the sure. physical stuff lines up too, um, you know, I, I, I'd like it. But like you said, it, it just it's one of those dreams about the only time that's can, that's come true for me was Lamar. <laughs> I didn't think it would happen and I wouldn't talk about it before the draft. People would ask me like, don't you like this? You tweet about this guy, Lamar Jackson. Don't you like it? I'm like, no, no, no. I can't talk about it. I won't yeah. do it. <laughs> and then it happened. You know, Creed Humphrey, interesting kind of a thing here because my first experience in seeing Creed Humphrey play was in reviewing Ben Powers play at, mm-hmm. at Oklahoma when we were doing the Ben Powers panel discussion all those years ago. So we had, we had fun doing that. And Humphrey was actually tripping Powers up on a couple of polls. <laughs> so it was, it was actually funny. But that guy was literally bred in a pasture since about the age of six to play center and, you know, installed at Oklahoma, Oklahoma freaking homer, as a freshman and weighed, th- I think, 325 at that point. You know, so it's like, how the heck do you, you know, do you do that? But anyway, he was, he was bred to play, to do exactly that job. You know? yeah. You're 100% right. Well, hey, who knew that we would have had the same top five? That is crazy. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's incredible. So let's talk about your honorable mentions. Who do you have? Other, other, just mention two or three names if you want to. Okay. So these were my guys who played tackle, but I think are probably going to be better as guards in the NFL. So one guy, and I went back and just rewatched him recently and I was like, yeah, I, I see it. Luke Gadecki uh, from Central Michigan. Uh, he's a guy who played right tackle opposite Bernard Ryman, who played left tackle at Central Michigan. I think people may know Bernard Ryman a little bit more. But um, if people are like, hey, give me an idea, whatever, the LSU game, that's what really did it for me because he had some matchups against B.J. Ojolari. People may know Aziz Ojolari, who was at mm-hmm. Georgia last year. He went to the Giants, I think, in the second round. I don't think he was the first round pick. But his brother, B.J. Ojolari. Also an edge rusher, also nasty coming off the edge. <laughs> and so Gadecki had a couple of matchups with him, and I thought he acquitted himself pretty well. And I guess he'd be he'd be taller for a guard because he's six five, three twelve. You look at those thirty two inch and and, and two eighths arms. I, I I just saw the way that he moved, the way that he was able to kind of sink his hips just enough. I don't think there's like a tremendous amount of in there, but just enough to kind of create some leverage. I I, I kind of saw him as a guard. Um, so he's one guy for me. I think Chris Paul from Tulsa, another guy who's like the opposite. People know Tyler Smith, who played left tackle. And, you know, he's kind of like a big mauler, big finisher. Chris Paul was a guy who played right tackle, but I think he projects inside as a guard. And um, you mentioned this guy, but I'll throw him out there again. Darian Kennard. I think Darian okay. Kennard from Kentucky has a better profile uh, as a guard. And if I if, if I had included him, I, he probably would have been in my top ten. Oh yeah, he he would have been in my I think for sure in the top five. I would he's ahead of Parham. I I I'm, I'm not sure if I'd put him ahead of Salyer or not. I'd have to really look back at that. But uh, Darren Kennard, he's on my tackle list and and uh, in the top ten. So he's definitely going to be on the guard oh, list. It just you like yeah. you like him both ways. So yeah, those three guys. I mean, I got I could go on and on, but I'll go with those okay. three. Guys. I'll go with three quick names, and we mentioned one of them, Cole Strange already. So I don't need to go into him any further than that. 
actually, the only other guy I really want to mention is Zach Tom of Wake Forest because he's a guy, uh, another uh, intelligent guy, certainly. Um, uh, he's already through his degree. I guess there's more of this going on than than we think. It seems to happen a lot with centers. Uh, guy has experience at both guard and center. Uh, really quick guy, decent arm length. Um, numbers were all fairly good. He did just turn 23. Very highly decorated student going for his second degree and um, during his red shirt junior, red shirt junior season. Uh, kind of a slender build, but uh, but I liked him a lot. Sixth or a UDFA to the Ravens, I'd be thrilled to get him. Uh, he'd be, I think, a good backup lineman uh, who, who would make sense for center as opposed to guard. So, you know, one way to look at that is it's kind of a two-year reset on Cologne. Uh, there is some draft capital involved, particularly if you spend a six. So maybe they get him as a UDFA. But if you if you spend a six on him, then basically you you youthify your roster, and that is a major concern for the Baltimore Ravens. They are nowhere near as young as they were coming off that great 2018 draft. Uh, they've gotten a lot older offensively and defensively, and they really need to figure out how to get four year options. Uh, into positions where they can take spots on this roster from some of the guys who are in year three and year four and haven't produced yet. So some serious concerns. They did lose a lot of guys to free agency. You would think that would youthify a roster naturally, but then they went out and they signed a bunch of guys too, who, who, you know, they're going to pay market value for. So uh, they they need to find some guys who are below market players uh, who are going to really produce and be the, be the, in that young producer group. I always talk about when we have our franchise building uh, exercises we do. Yeah, I saw Zach Tom play left tackle this season. He was uh, really Jermaine Johnson. Yeah, he was at left tackle, and he went up against Jermaine Johnson from Florida State this year, and really held his own. I mean, look, Johnson's going to make some plays. He's 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 a very good edge rusher, but Tom really held his own out there at left tackle. Now, I'm not saying that's where he should be. They had a need, and he went out there and he did it. So that really impressed me with him. I was like, wow, okay, that's that's saying something about a guy who's probably better as a center guard. And he's out there against one of the better edge rushers in the class holding his own. So that was that was pretty impressive. All right. Michael, such a pleasure to talk football with you. Please, let's not let it be this long again before we get together and have a discussion. I just I, every time we do this is one of my uh, things I really look forward to. And then we have fun when we do it. And, and uh, I really appreciate your time you, you, you grant us on this. Hey, it's great being here. Uh, as you can tell by how long we go, uh, the feeling is mutual. I really enjoy talking football with you and just all these other side conversations too yeah. are a lot of fun. So who knows? You mentioned the draft night. We'll see how it goes. Um, hopefully hopefully I can I can be available or at least drop in for a little bit if, if nothing else. So uh, I look forward to being able to do that. We'll take any any amount of you we can get, Michael. So we'll, we'd love to see you on draft night. And it's a very laid back process anyway. People are asking questions, and uh, I'm sure they'd love to have you on the panel, even if it's for only you know an hour or or, or so. We'd uh, love to have you. Uh, other folks out there, if you'd like to talk draft, if you'd like to talk franchise building. Uh, in particular, I am emphasizing such episodes. We have some coming up, going to be recorded next week. I'd love to have more. Uh, please give me a DM on Twitter. They're open. Uh, love to hear from you. I'll get back to you very quickly. We'll get you on air. Uh, Michael, thanks again so much for coming. Sure, sure. Glad to be here. Um, anybody, uh, I don't know that I have work per se, but if you want to follow me on Twitter at Abukari on Twitter, that's A-B-U-K-A-R-I. I do a couple different podcasts, deep cover podcasts with uh, Chris Aguilera, who you have recently on your show. To talk mm-hmm. about. Great job by Chris on the yes. corners. One of the best out there. Kerry Stevenson, also uh, one of the best out there. Yeah, do that pod with him. And then Denard Melton, who you also had on. Yeah. Uh, uh, to talk a little while ago, I do a show called the uh, the Fire Zone Show 
uh, podcast and a YouTube show with Denard. So kind of a little bit of, of this, a little bit of that. I'm just trying to help. I really kind of transitioned into that mode. I really don't want to do my own stuff so much anymore. I kind of want to just help other people, younger folks who are maybe interested in doing some content. So uh, that's been rewarding. It's been fun doing that. To- totally enjoy that. When anybody comes to me, uh, you know, this is something Sarah came to me with a, her study of quarterbacks and injuries a couple of years ago. I mean, I love doing that kind of stuff. So if, you, if anybody's out there working on this kind of thing, it, it, Michael came to me with one of our first in- yeah, yeah. introductory meetings was you having a, an idea for a study of your own. Uh, <laughs> people my age and I'm almost 59 love doing this kind of stuff. And people Michael's age and Michael's not nearly as old are already loving doing this kind of stuff in terms sure. of, of having younger people come. But there's a lot of people, you know, it's a lot of college age kids who yeah. are doing this. I I've really enjoyed working with a lot of the PFF interns directly and having them on with their stuff. They're great. I just yeah. enjoy working with them so much. So, uh, uh, been a lot of fun and I apologize for not getting your Twitter handle out there earlier yeah. in your work. Cause I said, I would do that. Hey, I'm a professional. I'm ready. I'm prepared. <laughs> <laughs> he's laughing as he's saying it, but, but he is indeed a professional. Michael, thanks again so much for being on, and we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. Make the same no-brainer decisions as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.